0: Today's podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, and medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburn, rashes, and other types of skin damage. And the best part is that it's safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for use on all skin types and all parts of the body, even with rosacea, eczema, or acne-prone skin. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the littlest member of your family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all your family's skin health needs. I have three kids. We have injuries in our house almost daily, and so it's so nice to have active skin repair to reach for in my cabinet because I know that it's safe, natural, and non-toxic. We use it for things like burns or scrapes or cuts. My youngest daughter recently had a really bad finger injury, and we were using it on her, and it did not sting or burn her at all. So it was perfect. Today, as a listener of this podcast, you can get a special discount on your order of active skin repair. Visit activeskinrepair.com to learn more. And to get 20% off your order, use code NO ONE TOLD US. That's activeskinrepair.com, code NO ONE TOLD US for 20% off your order. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Dr. Nkeruka Orajaka, who is a board certified pediatrician, pediatric ER doctor, public health physician, wife, and mom of three, fellow mom of three. I love that. Dr. Orajaka completed her master's in public health at the Mailman School of Public Health, Columbia University, New York, and residency at Columbia University affiliation at Harlem Hospital. She currently practices as an pediatrics ER fellow in one of the largest emergency rooms in the US and is a passionate health educator and strong advocate for children's health and safety. And I was first introduced to you on Instagram as I meet most people that I really just love and admire. And I think you're doing such important work. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: I'm very happy to be here with you too. You are doing an amazing, I love your community, the way you're building community, talking about sleep. It's been amazing. So I love being on the podcast with you. Thank
0: you. And so today we're going to talk a lot about, you know, some kind of scary topics um, because you do see kind of the the scarier side of of pediatric health being an ER physician, right? And is that something that you knew that you wanted to do right from The time that you were in medical school or did you kind of fall into doing ER work?
1: So that's interesting. I actually finished medical school wanting to be an OBGYN. Can I take care of the mothers? And mm-hmm. when I rotated through pediatrics, I was like, no, I love the kids. So I fell in love with pediatrics in the emergency room. Like, it's like always chaos. It's like bustle and bustle. But then I still get to have like conversation with families that have like kids who are well, but they're really like concerned, just have that conversation. So I think having the variety of like sick kids and families that I can still like reassure, having like regular conversation, that was what drew me to pediatrics in the ER. And then that's been doing that since then.
0: I love that. And how old are your own kids? So I have a 16, 14, and 7-year-old. Oh, my gosh. So you're out of the thick of like the baby and toddler stage. But I know they say, what do they say, like big kids, big problems, little kids, little problems. Do you find that to be true? Or do you feel like it's gotten easier as they get older? No, Ah.
1: it's completely true. Like every 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 stage has its own challenges so like initially saying i can't wait for you guys to grow up and i'm like oh yeah did i really say that it's like every (laughs) stage has its own problem i mean it's interesting it's fun and different things to learn but it's like it just never ends it's always entertaining right (laughs) right
0: and well especially with three there's just i mean there's always so much going on right
1: yeah, yeah, different personalities, different like concerns. Like this person is bothered about one thing; the other one is like, "Oh, really? I don't care what you mean." So it's oh my gosh. So insane. have you ever
0: had any? Have you ever had to have your own kids in your ER? Like, has there any ever been anything? That's happened in your own family. I better knock on wood.
1: No, excitedly. No, I've only had um one burst out their lip, but they really need to go to the ER. I had to remind myself, okay, they're just, ble- then you have to control the bleeding because once yours gets hurt, like your whole like medicine goes out the window, it's now like mom version trying to console them. And I think the most of have had is one of them going to get like a cut repaired in an urgent care, but not necessarily the ER. So knock on wood, it's been good. So knock far. on
0: wood. Oh, good. So as a mom then, because of course you're a doctor, but you're also a mom. So as a mom, what are the things that you would be looking for? Let's just talk about little kids first. What would be some things that you'd be concerned about yeah. um, with a little one? Because I know a lot of parents wonder, like, am I being overly dramatic? Do we really need to go to the ER or, you know, can we just treat this at home? So what do you, what advice do you give to parents who are really concerned that, um that they might miss some important symptoms or something?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question, but then it's also like variable versus like illness or like injury. So it just kind of depends what it is. But I think one thing I always tell families is one, your maternal instincts is always right, right? There's always something Mm -hmm. you're concerned about. So if it's something that's going to bother you and you cannot sleep at night, you can get it seen. You can either call like the nurse line, go to an urgent care or to an ER, depending on the time. Because that one thing is, oh, regardless of what I tell you, you're probably not going to sleep tonight so you want to go get it checked out like i've seen kids i've seen families with such minor things that has nothing to be done and we just want to discuss which is fine but i think other things to consider would be is this something that you can sleep they can sleep and then you talk with your doctor in the morning because like things like like ear infections they might be in pain but you can control their pain and then get seen in the morning Mm -hmm. It's like fevers. I know a lot of us families, once we see the number on the thermometer, like we are like red flags. I'm going into the ER. I just say, okay, let's pause. Let's not take a look at the thermometer. Let's take a look at them. What do they look like? What do they look like after the fever medicine you've given? If they're okay, able to sleep, it's okay to actually sleep and get seen in the morning and not just go to the ER, have like the long wait times, and then Mm -hmm. they send you back home. But of course, if your child is like fever, they're not responding to medication, just kind of lame, they're not like the active, usual baby child that you know, of course you need to get them seen. Or maybe they're vomiting excessively, cannot keep hydrated, because kids can get like dehydrated pretty fast. Also, want to get them seen towards um especially because the night can get you know, they can sleep through the night and not be able to drink anything and the next morning they're dehydrated or right. cases of like they're not responding to you unconscious those are reasons why you want to get them seen
0: okay that really helps and then I know we're kind of in like the, the RSV flu season too so what would be some things that parents might look for as ter- in terms of respiratory or like breathing um patterns yes. that would be concerning
1: yeah, we are in the thick of it. So I always tell families number one, one I like to see like every couple of say every couple of months is just have a recording, a video of your child when they are well and nothing is wrong with them. Because that comparison Mm. always helps. When a child is sick, you're trying to figure out, oh, is this normal breathing versus not? Like our whole mind is not acting the way it's supposed to be acting. So everything else, emotions are taking over. Have a recording video of when they are well and active and nothing happening. So you can always have that comparison. Of course, when it comes to like bronchiolitis and IRISB and multiple viruses, beyond the fevers, your kid may have a really congested Nose, and once because most babies can only breathe through their nose and not their mouth like we can as adults. They don't have the extra backup. So once their nose is clogged, they start working harder to breathe to make more space for Mm -hmm. air to be able to get in. So when you're suctioning their nose, you're noticing their nose is moving in and out. You're noticing retracts, which means their belly is giving in and out or like sucking in you really need to get them seen because maybe they need suction and maybe they need some form of oxygen support. But other things, if you notice your baby usually drinks like maybe six ounces of bottle and it's going down to like one or not even able to take any, we're concerned about dehydration too. So really want right. to get them like evaluated to see maybe they need IV fluids, a little bit of help. Or like persistent days of fevers and that's not resolving. Yes, it may still be virus, but we start getting concerned about pneumonia too, because that gives you like high fevers, increased work of breathing. So we need to take a lesson to them and make sure they don't have pneumonia pneumonia, even do an x-ray. Just kind of look for extra stuff.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. I remember when my sister was a baby, she had pneumonia. She had to be hospitalized for like a month. Like that oh. is not, not oh, something no. that you want to mess around with. That can be really scary. So, yes, you can. um, okay. So that's really, really helpful. I tell parents all the time, taking videos is such a great idea. Like sometimes they'll ask me, Oh, is my child having a night terror? I can't really tell. Or, um, you know, they're, they seem to be really restless in their sleep. I always say like, just take a video because when you're describing it to your doctor, Everybody paints a different picture in their mind of what that might look like, right? So it's always helpful to have have videos like that on hand.
1: Yes, yes. And also when they come in for us to see them, once you walk into the room, the kid I mean, especially with kids' anxiety, they don't like you as an adult, like an extra person. So they may start crying. And once they're crying, it's difficult for us to assess them. I usually tell families, oh, do you have a video? And that's enough information for me to have a discussion with you and we can decide what to do. So videos are always so helpful for parents, but also for us as providers.
0: Okay. That's a really, really great tip. Um, so what do you think are the most like common injuries or the common accidents that you see happening in your ER that are like totally preventable that parents could, you know, do something pretty simple at home to prevent these types of things from happening? Are there
1: common ones that you see over and over again? Yeah. I think the first thing to know is as parents is that your child at some point in your life is going to fall. <laughs> oh my god yes and they're gonna bonk their head a
0: million times
1: <laughs> yeah times you can just move this to there and they will go find that thing and bunk their head and it's okay yep. your parents are supposed to experience that what we're trying to prevent is the one that's going to cause serious harm the ones you can prevent because not everything is 100% preventable and just kind of taking it towards the ages I think one of the main ones that most kids do is follow the bed fall off the crib mm. Because babies, because cause they they like advance milestones within a few like weeks. So we might yeah. be assuming that, yeah, oh, they cannot roll over. And then your baby wakes up one day and rolls off the bed. Like, so we need to be a few steps ahead of them. So mm-hmm. one, avoid placing them on high surfaces where it's not covered or where no one is around them within arm's length. Because you yes. may just say, let me turn around and grab like a diaper. No, they're going to fall off. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They gonna fall off so fast. And that's one like, you know, I mean, when I have families coming, they're always like that guilt. I'm like, no, I say this all the time. So I want you to always remember, assume they're going to fall off until they don't. So anything that's right. going to happen before you change your diaper, have everything around you before you put them on the changing table. Before mm-hmm. you put them in a bath, have everything around you so you don't have to step out to grab anything. Because drowning is another one with infant bath. You always assume they're comfortable. They don't move. No. No, they're going to go in and get submerged in the water. So, have everything ready to go before you do anything for that. And then, when it comes to the cribs, especially with you being the sleep specialist, is no, like always move their crib settings, drop the settings down ahead of time. I know yep. when we have like different yep. disabilities or they're being able to bend over, but like, you'd be surprised, babies can go from like rolling to pulling up and then they're flipping out of the crib. So, I usually tell families, yeah, exactly. once you Notice one sign of a roll one sign of a roll. You want to drop the settings so they can't reach because, I mean, they turn around and they're walking already. Like, how did you start working so early? Every baby's different. Well, and some kids, so yeah, some kids practice it in the...
0: Some kids even start practicing it in the crib. Like the parents don't even see it during the day, especially if the kid's at daycare and they don't spend a lot of time with them during the day. And then, you know, it's a busy evening and they're just trying to get through the bedtime routine and stuff like that. And then they look at the monitor and they're like, oh my God, like they can stand up. They can pull themselves to stand. So sometimes it's just like a huge surprise. I yeah. hear it all
1: the time.
0: And yes, I also love that. that I love surprise that comes in an injury. Yeah. And I love what you said about the changing table too. That was always one of my like mom anxieties that they were going to roll off the changing table or roll off the dresser when we were changing their diaper. And like you said, like it just, it doesn't take much for them to be able to scoot off or to roll off. I used to even tell, I was kind of crazy. Like I would tell my in-laws if they were going to be watching my baby, I would lie and say, oh yeah, he's rolling over just because I was like, I wanted them to be careful and I didn't want them to put him down (laughs) on something high. So I would just lie and be like, oh yeah, he can, he can roll. So just make sure you really watch him.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a needed lie. I started telling families, <laughs> change them on the floor. I mean, they cannot fall off the floor. They're already on the floor. Exactly. So just kind of change them on the floor, put it, put like a clock down and have them just kind of kick around and be on the floor, which is perfect.
0: Also just so important, what you brought up about putting the baby on the bed. Like I know lots of parents in my community, co-sleep or bed share and, you know, all of that stuff. And, and part of doing that as safely as possible as always being with the baby, right? And making sure that you're not going to have them fall from a bed or get trapped between a bed and a wall or something like that. So I'm really glad you brought that up too, because I'm sure that those are some really preventable injuries that you've seen.
1: Yes. Yeah. And then kinda in the same line, like when you're with them in the living room, make sure everything is against the wall. Because like you know, couches, I mean, especially when they're towards the age of growing or moving around, couches that have like space at the back, they're gonna get up the on top of the couch and as long as there's a space behind, they are going to want to see oh. what's behind that. <laughs> So it's like either you're moving things towards the end of the wall and make sure furniture is anchored. That's another huge one because as long as it can fall over, they're going to try to reach for it and force on top of them. It's another common injury we usually see.
0: I bet. Yeah, we're in California, so major earthquake zone. And so that was like one of the first things we Mm -hmm. had to do when we baby proofed. Um, And even just when we moved into our house was make sure all of the furniture was mounted to the wall because not only can they climb it and knock it over on themselves, but if there were an earthquake God forbid it fall on them. So yeah, that's sure. another really important one. And I also love that you brought yeah. up, um, water safety. So are there any other things parents should be aware of as far as like, even if they don't have a pool, even if they don't have a big body yeah. of water by their house, um, you know, accidents can still happen in the home. So how would you suggest keeping kids safe from, from water or drowning injuries?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I always want families to assume the fact that babies can drown in any amount of water, because I think there's always this misconception that it has to be pools. The highest drowning in babies younger than one year of age is actually in the bathtub. Because families mm. put them in the bathtub and then just kind of step out to go get the towel or maybe put them in the bathtub with another toddler or like a five-year-old or even a nine-year-old. That, I mean, those ones are still babies. They don't know yeah. what to do with that. So they might just be playing on their own in the water like an older kid. And the other one is like struggling. And that's one thing never to mm. do. If you're not ready to be there 100% with them, don't uh, put them in the bath. And I know it's hard because you want to multitask. It's just like some things you don't want to multitask to task with because drowning it's a lot of injury it's a lot of guilt that comes with the injuries and as much as we don't want to discuss that i've seen a lot of things when it comes to that and it's not like a guilt like family can actually like remove because it is either um, i mean i don't want to talk about the devastating things that it happens but if you're not ready to put them in the bath just wait Give it a moment. Wait right. for an additional adult to come back. They don't have to take it back. Then they can wait. They can live without being clean. But just go in when you're ready to be with them.
0: My daughter right now she's yeah. one and she's starting to be very curious about the toilet, and so we're having to like put locks on the toilets because I've also heard that babies can like kind of try to yeah. climb in and then they fall in head first and that's yeah. like I can't even imagine. So it's like things that you just yeah. just don't even think about too and even if you've had kids or babies before, like they're all so different. We've had to baby proof differently for all of our three kids because they're just all like into different things, curious about different things. Like my first was just, he just was like, an old man like he was never curious about anything like didn't really care that much to like get into trouble he just wanted to like sit and read his books but my middle daughter was a climber and so we just discovered <laughs> like this whole new world of things that we had to baby proof because she was climbing on everything and now my third puts everything in her mouth so we're constantly having to like pick everything up off the floor and like lock the toilets and she's trying to throw things into the bathtub all the time so we have to keep electronics away it's just like You think that you've done it the first time and then every kid is different. So also just like, don't assume that just because you're on your second or third or fourth kid that your house is already safety proof because they will find that one thing that you haven't done. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it is such a great point. Such a great point. They're all so different. And yeah, I completely agree with you. Like, you know, I mean, you never know what they're going to wake And again, it's that times keep changing. Like, right, we get like that different too. toys. I recently saw this toy that had like the waterfall set that just constantly cycles. And like, I didn't even know it existed back then, which is another risk. Because then apparently it has like a layer that covers. So they don't have access to the huge pool of water. They have access to the faucet. But the one that has seen, like on tiktok have like the baby playing on the open water faucet and there's a danger of tipping over to fall into that right. so like things like water tables right. make sure that there's no water inside when you're not around them things like especially like a chair especially in the summer chest of drawers that oh, has yeah. water even like a small as small as a pet's uh what a bowl, right you want to make sure it's in a location right. that your crawlers now uh, get because some babies my daughter was so excited whenever i visited one of my friends they had like a cat or like a I can't remember a cat or a dog a boat so she was always crawling towards the water but i'm like girl okay we don't have our pets so i'm gonna move you <laughs> there so is something are, like, about those little bowls of water. water my kids have all done that they're oh, all yeah. obsessed with the dog
0: bowl mm-hmm <laughs>
1: All of sense. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of concentration when it comes to kids and dangers, but those are the little things you can actually just kind of move around because there are always possibilities around that. Yeah,
0: such a good point.
1: So uh, what about like just those
0: everyday things, those like bumps and bruises and cuts, like what would you suggest to parents for kind of treating things like that at home? Like what would be some essential first aid skills yeah. or first aid tips that parents should know about?
1: Yeah, I think, um, another thing I like parents to remember is head injuries happen a lot with kids and most of the majority of the kids, they do well. They do well. They do great. Right. So I always want families to know, okay, so they bump their head. The sound of the bump is actually more scary compared to what the bump looks like. Cause once totally. you hear that Todd, you're like, Oh my gosh, my child is not going to make it. <laughs> Yes. Oh, my God. I hear I that said me, in my nightmares. I to tell families, okay, the not happened. And once you scream, your child always will react how you react. But, I mean, as a parent, you're definitely going to scream. You can't, re- that's how we, it's all fight, flight of, what's the other one? Fight. Freeze, so It's yeah. okay to react, but just, exactly. So just remember to calm down, to know they're going to respond the way you want to respond. And then think about it this way. If your child just kind of moves along and continues to do what they're doing, it means they're going to be okay for the most part, right? They happen, they're back to playing, and just going to take your time to continue to observe them. Of course, if your baby who bumped their head moves along, and then all of a sudden, within the first 20 to 30 minutes, they stop responding, they just fall asleep immediately, and they're not responding when you talk to them, I would definitely get them checked out, because there's something called like an interval where babies bump their head, they're okay, and then all of a sudden, they're not. So we get worried about like a bleed that just accumulates, accumulates immediately. But then if they move along, comes along and comes to you, holds their head and just kind of moves along again, it means they bump their head. It probably hurts, but they're trying to walk through it and be okay, right? So that's something to consider. Of course, you want to watch for like vomiting. One episode of vomiting, it's not uncommon because when you bump your head, like even as adults, we get a little shake in our head and brain and our body is trying to walk through it. So let vomit once. Give Mm -hmm. them some time to recover or let them maybe sleep it off. I think one of the highest myths I want families to remember is it's okay for your child to sleep when they bump their head. Like it's one of those oh, things that a lot okay. of people forget and are trying to keep their child awake. No, head injuries, once you bump their your head, one, they are in pain, two, their brain is trying to recover from all the mechanism happened. So sometimes sleeping might be a way to get to recover. The sleeping, it's oh, okay. okay as long as you're able to wake up, when able to wake up, when you call their name, I kind of go back. The one you should be concerned about is when your child is actively sleeping too much that you cannot wake them up, then that's what I will be concerned Mm -hmm. about.
0: Okay, so more of the like lethargy and non-responsiveness and like just way too sleepy. That would be more of a concern. Okay, that's
1: really good to know because I think that is a huge misconception. Yeah. It is a huge misconception because what happens is that if you're trying to keep them awake or keep, awake or keep waking them up multiple times, then their brain does not recover. they're exhausted, they have a headache. And now you can't really figure out, are they worse because they didn't sleep or are they worse from the head injury? That
0: makes sense. Is there a spot on the head that is more concerning than others? Because I've heard like, oh, if they just smack their forehead, they're usually fine, but it's the yeah. back of the head that you worry about? Or is that is
1: that another myth? Yes. Yes. It's, yes, it's a thing. So the front of the head is one of the places that has more, just going to say more forgiveness. It gets, I mean, the swelling can look really bad. It gets like really swollen, takes a couple of days, like the goose egg takes a couple of days to disappear. Like cool compresses is fine. It may go through like multiple colors to recover, but anything on the sides and in the back, especially when it's huge, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but we get more concerned because there's more likelihood of bleeding into the brain and the back of the brain from those. So those you definitely okay. want, recommend to get it checked out.
0: Okay, that's really good to know. And then what about um, injuries that are not on the head? So maybe they yeah. bump their arm, bump their leg. How do you know when it's yeah. something that's that's worth taking them into the ER? Because sometimes a kid's temperament You know, they might like my son, for example, he'll scream and cry about an injury, like a tiny little cut or a tiny little bump. He'll scream and cry forever. And it's like, we know his personality now. We know he's probably fine. Whereas my daughter will bonk herself, get back up and keep going. And maybe she is actually really hurt. So, you know, they all have different pain tolerances and stuff too. So what are some Mm -hmm. things that you would want to look for? um, If there were like, you know, some type of injury that would need to be treated.
1: Yeah, that's a great comment because I've seen kids like different ones. I've had fractures for like days and they didn't come in because the child is so stoic. (laughs) So I think a couple of things would be one, of course, if it's an injury that's uh, bleeding profusely that you can't stop the bleeding. Of course, you want to get it checked out, but if it's one you want to put compressed, is able to stop in, does not look like an actual cut, maybe just like a scrape. You can wash it out with some warm soap and water, put a little bit of visual, maybe a bit of jelly, aquaphor, medi honey on top of it and just kind of cover it. So if you see one that um looks like a cut, maybe like flesh sticking out, or maybe you're seeing like something that looks like bone, I mean, it's always gross. You want to get that checked out to be able to decide if he needs anything to be done. And of course, if you're looking at it, so usually know like the arm is supposed to be straight, right? And you see something that looks bent, that's when you also want to get checked out because it may be cracked underneath. So these are like easier ones to see. So coming down to like different temperaments, if your child is different, bumps their head, based on the one that responds and the one that does not, you can try some pain medication first, right? Because a lot of kids, something that has to do with pain in the area that are hurt themselves, 10 medication can help resolve it. But if every time you touch, let's say you probably give it a couple of hours to maybe a day, depending on what it looks like. If you touch a location and your child j- jumps mm-hmm. s- significantly uncomfortable, you may want to get someone to check it out. Or maybe they are left handed or right handed and they're not wanting to use that arm mm-hmm. or they're working with the limb you want to get it checked out because if kids are injured, sometimes you might see it, sometimes you might not. But if they're favoring one or meaning not wanting to use that location, it probably hurts and it's preventing them from using it the way they're supposed to. So we always recommend to get it checked out because it's not, I mean, I know they heard it one time may not be serious, but maybe an X-ray can help us make sure there's no fractures underneath.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so when we are talking about bringing our kids into the ER or even just for doctor's visits, are there are there things that you see parents doing or maybe parents not doing to prepare their child for that visit because I know you mentioned before a lot of times you see kids that are really scared, crying. Um what would you recommend like a parent do to kind of just prep for that visit or um or how do how do they comfort their child while they're there? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think one of the main things to always remember is you You can start with your regular doctor or your nurse's hotline to make sure you need to come in because ER is like way scarier than like the regular doctor's office. Because another thing, especially now that it's super busy with the respiratory illnesses, we have a lot of families who wait for a long time to get seen, especially ER is not first come, first served basis, is right. the sacred patients get seen first. So we may have someone within five hours, yeah. it's something their regular doctor may have resolved. But then if you're coming into the ER, one of the things I say is, one, you can give your child pain medication or fever medication if you think they're uncomfortable. It's not going to change how we're going to manage them. We just want them to be comfortable while they wait. So whatever medication they take, of course, if they have all the other medications or chronic illnesses that they take, you want to bring it along or give it to them before they get there the other thing when it comes to like hydration unless your child has a belly pain persistently vomiting you can bring along whatever they'd like to eat or drink and ask the nurses and triage people that get checked in is it okay to continue feeding them because the wait times can be long kids stay hungry and cranky and just like angry. so it's okay to continue making sure they're comfortable eating whatever they want yeah some ERs have like snacks popsicles juice but it doesn't happen everywhere we don't have everything so you want to make sure you have enough of what they'd to eat or drink of course it depends on how emergent it is you may not have time to stop before you come over so i think you're just going to consider that other things you want to bring is bring like your favorite blankets favorite books ipad and when it comes to screen time i do not have any control when it comes to that please i just no. want this kids to be happy and comfortable yes. in an environment that's really scary so bring anything you use to console them at home you can bring it along in an ed just to make sure they're comfortable And of course, some places have like child life, which are those that are professionals that can walk kids through things that we're doing, like the lines, the things that are very uncomfortable for them and anxious, um, anxiety provoking, just to get them calm enough. So anything you think that can make your child feel at home while they're in the ER that you can carry, please bring it along.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And I'm, oh my God, like screen time, please put them on the iPad and just... (laughs) Do your best. No judgment. Okay. No like judgment. Too
1: stressful and ready for like mother. No, ju- exactly. No, I do not have any judgment. And for some
0: reason, that. it's always like, it feels like it's always the middle of the night too. Like the only time I've ever had to do an ER visit with one of my kids, it, it was the, like midnight and we were both just exhausted and I didn't bring anything because I was just panicked. And yeah, we waited for yeah. a very long time. And he actually loved it because he got juice boxes, which we don't usually have at home. Yeah. So he was like, he was <laughs> oh. fine just with the juice boxes and just like the people watching. But um, yeah, it can definitely be scary for younger kids.
1: It can. It definitely can. And if I'm just gonna throw one more thing out, is especially now, I have a lot of families make like ER visits. One, all kids usually get sick in the middle of the night. Like your, it's something about the um security and rhythm, something about the stairs. They are going to get sick at night. Make mm-hmm. sure you have like all the medications you need at home. Check yeah. now to make sure you're not running out of the, t- uh, the acetaminophen, the ibuprofen, the nasal suction, because it's going to happen in the middle of the night. Then you open up your bottle. You have not. So just do your check now because I see that a lot. Make sure you give it the right stocked because it will have, keep it stocked. It will happen at night almost all the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And wasn't there last year or maybe two years ago, wasn't there like a huge shortage of a bunch of different kids medications? Like people couldn't get their hands on anything. So yeah, go through your cabinets and make sure you have stuff. And I also always recommend keeping extra clothes, um, maybe extra medicines too, but extra clothes in your car. Cause that was another thing when we went to the ER that time, the poor thing was like, you know he, it was a stomach issue so we definitely needed new clothes and yeah. i didn't bring any so the poor thing had to wear like adult scrubs cuz that's all they had to give the <laughs> hospital and it was just like adding insult to injury it was so sad so yeah extra clothes would be one more thing i would recommend keeping in your like yes, first aid definitely, first definitely. aid kit <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, um,
0: I know you have, I know you have so much more information on your YouTube channel. You have an ebook on first aid. Is that right? What else can people find over on your page? What are the things that you're really passionate about talking about on Instagram? I'm going to link in the show notes. I'll link your handle and stuff so people can come find you. But what are the things you love sharing about and love talking about on your page?
1: yeah, so generally, in addition to like first aid and like health related stuff, kids health stuff for like babies and safety, I mean, I always like families to know that babies are gonna be okay. So a lot of things I show in my story is the fact that I mean, being a mom and working, I struggle with trying to combine both, right? Mm. I don't do a good job as you do. I'm not sure how you do it, Rachel. You're always in the story. Get it. I don't not know how you do that crazy which is, it is awesome. It's but impossible. It's,
0: <laughs> I'm like always on the verge of a mental breakdown. <laughs> it's not healthy. I don't recommend.
1: Great, I no, it's great. I really, I'm like, <laughs> I love what she does, but I know that if I function this way, I'm just gonna break down. So it's, it's like being able to show mom, listen. We are all doing great job, right? It's just what we can do. I show that in my stories. Actually, I'm working on the newborn like book because I have a couple like newborns. Are one of the it's an age group I don't like to see in the ER because one they don't even have immunity yet. So, but I still have families who come in with all the questions that we should know that we should teach families from like pregnancy and delivery room but there's just a whole lot to teach so it's yeah. like a small book where they can get all that information oh you're seeing this in your baby you're gonna flip through see what it is see what you should be worried about how long it should last and then you can also document things like oh feeding schedule diaper schedule growth and so many things like that oh i love that so idea yeah so that's a book that i'm working on now hoping maybe beginning of next year should be all done and have was almost done and then had like something pushed back but it's like based on what i'm seeing it's like it's just a binder and then you can also put like pictures and stuff at the end of just like a more comprehensive thing for like this is for your baby and it's like you it can be for gifts and, and but it's so like comprehensive and easy to read i like things that are very visual and easy to read
0: well especially for newborn parents who are like functioning on zero sleep they don't yes. need like a huge book to to read they need just like mm-hmm. quick easy information.
1: (laughs) That's what it is. Yes. That's perfect.
0: Um, Well, thank you so much. The last question that I have for you, because you are a mom and you've been a mom for a while now, what is one thing that you wish you had known about before becoming a mom? Or what's something that you feel like nobody really talks about before becoming a parent that you wish you had known or you wish someone told you?
1: Yeah, I think one of it is Actually, I have to, one is to always ask and ask, especially when it comes to our doctor. I mean, it took me, took me a while, especially I became a mom before I like became a pediatrician and that. It's okay to ask like the million questions to my provider, my doctor. I feel like it's always about us trying to figure out, oh, maybe they're going to say that I'm asking a lot. Like now I walk in and tell the family, look, I don't want you to come back here again to ask people other questions. Keep asking me. I want you to be comfortable before you go. So I want us to always remember that. No question is silly when it comes to our families. We may have heard the question before. Let me explain again in ways you can understand. So we took it to ask multiple times. So I think the second one is, I wish someone told me that it's going to be okay. Because I feel like especially when we're seeing our little ones growing, we are worried about everything that's going to happen or everything that happens, which is like normal matana insects, right? Once one of them has a fever, half the other thing, we're not worried for every single thing that happens as they grow. And sometimes we kind of lose enjoying the moment with them, right? So I to remember babies, they have a lot more um tenacity resilience in them than adults. So even when you're baby, like, especially now that everybody's like, um, overwhelmed with like rsb bronchiolitis and illnesses i have a lot of babies i admit them they have need oxygen They need support but i see them in like three days bouncing off the wall right yeah they're always a lot of them do okay so i always want to remember that they get sick they get injured but most of them do okay so i want to so, i wanted someone told me that especially them slow down and enjoy the moments with them enjoy yeah. that like craziness do the most you can when it comes to safety they're going to find another couch to jump off. And that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So true. It's okay. Like... I know they're going to find another one to jump off. Let's not hold them down because they need that time to be curious and explore. As mm-hmm. long as you have the most you can do in terms of like baby proofing, safety proofing, let's let them be kids. Just let I them love be that. kids and let them get yeah. out of every state. Like, I just, I just wish I could remember my first who's 16 now. Let me just leave him be crazy at two or a three. Let me enjoy that moment. So let's not yeah. lose that time and enjoy the moment with them.
0: I love that. That's such good advice. Yeah, because we can only control so much, right? And and they do need to be kids at the end yes. of the day. We can't wrap yes. them up in, in bubble wrap. Um, well, thank you so much for yes. joining us on the podcast today. Where can people find you and
1: all of your amazing resources online? Yeah. So I am on a couple of social media active when I'm not going crazy at work. And it's I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm also on YouTube. And my Instagram and TikTok are about the same, which is Dr. AKA, And then my YouTube is Dr. Inkirika Rajaka. And that's where you can find me. I also have a website and everything is pretty much. Um, I'm going to send that to you, Dr.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. You too,
1: Rachel.
2: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross-type paint-on-paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel